0: You made it despite the rain. We're glad to see you here in worship this morning. If you are a visitor with us, I'd like to extend a special word of welcome. We have um, little gift bags in the atrium for you, a sign of our gratitude for you joining us. We invite you to grab one on the way out. In addition, I'd like to welcome those of you joining us by means of the internet or the radio. And I'd also like to welcome those of you who are here every week. We're so glad to see you. On a note of hospitality, we have friendship pads um, in the pews. We invite you to pass those down, sign your name, get to know the names of those sitting around you. You'll also see our prayer cards and connect cards in the pews. Those are opportunities to lift up a prayer request to the pastoral staff or to get more information about a program, and we encourage you to use those. Before we begin worship, I want to share a few announcements. Today is Second Sunday Brunch, which is very exciting. I went to Second Sunday Brunch last month and was anticipating only visiting and not eating, and I ate like three plates of food, which should speak more to how good the food is and less about my self-control, but you can look at it either way. It's really good. I encourage you to come, eat some food, visit with somebody you may have not seen in a while. In addition, if you are someone who is a competitive person, we are giving you a opportunity to practice the spiritual skill of patience next Sunday night. We are having a board game night at worship at five. So we encourage you to come to worship next Sunday evening and then stick around to play some games in a little friendly Christian competition. <laughs> It'll be a fun time. At this point, I'd like to invite up my friend and colleague, Kathy Lee Cornell, to share some news about the Malawi mission team.
1: Our congregation was called to begin a mission partnership in the country of Malawi almost 20 years ago. And this partnership has resulted in the building of multiple wells, in schools being equipped, and in the training of a medical doctor whose hospital now serves over 100,000 people. Our mission partnership has been so strong because we are a part of a larger network known as the Malawi Mission Network. And this network is made up of congregations all across the US, our denomination's World Mission Office in Louisville, and of course, our Malawian faith partners and leaders who are gathered with us today. And so over the last three days, we have gotten together, we have shared stories, we have reflected, we have shared best practices, we've learned from one another, and we've done a lot of eating and singing and dancing and rejoicing. And this morning, I have the privilege of welcoming one of our keynote speakers from this weekend. And as you can tell, the title, the longer the title, the more important he is, so listen to this. Please, I'd like to welcome the Reverend Bosco Kijipapa, to say a word of greeting from Malawi. Reverend Kachipapa is the General Secretary of the Synod of Nkoma of the Church of Central Africa Presbyterian in Malawi. Please welcome Reverend Papa.
2: Good morning, Church. Good morning. I am very thankful that uh, I and my colleagues in the Malawi network, Malawi Mission Network, and also from Malawi, we can worship with you today. We are very thankful that you accepted to host this year's conference. It was well organized. We've enjoyed ourselves. And uh, we've loved the environment in which you are, and especially your team. It's been very wonderful. On behalf of my fellow Malawians, in a very special way, we would like to say thank you for the work that this church is doing in Malawi. It's a lot. And we know it's not because you have much but it's because you have the love of Christ Jesus. And we pray that you continue to do so as a family, as brothers and sisters. Many of our friends have already left, and some of us will be leaving soon after church. We wish you well, and may God bless you. Thank you.
1: Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it let us worship holy God
0: of God. On that beautiful note, I invite you to join me in the call to worship printed in your bulletin. Storytelling God, we come to this place to hear the stories of our faith. In our worship, we bring the word. We recognize your presence in the stories of our
3: lives, in our worship. In my
1: Yes. our teachers. Gracious and merciful. God shows great and steadfast love to us through Jesus Christ, our bread of life. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Family of God, Another with Jesus' words of peace, the peace of Christ be with you, and also with.
4: I'd like to invite all of the children forward for our time together this morning, so come on up.
3: <coughs> Good
4: morning. Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. Good morning. Hi, Corinne. How's it going? Hey, David.
3: Hi. Hi, Connor. Hey, come on up.
4: We've got plenty of pillows left, so come on up. everyone it's so good to see you so i have a question for you this morning because that's how we always start children's sermons is with a question yeah so here's your question today what is a neighbor what is a neighbor one of your cousins sometimes one of your cousins that's lucky yeah someone who lives next door someone you treat exactly like yourself. Someone went to BBS this summer, that's right, yeah. Yeah, that's a great answer, that's such a great answer. Anybody else have an answer? Yeah. A person that lives in your neighborhood, that's probably the most basic definition of a neighbor. Yeah, that's a good one. You know what though, Emerson's onto something and that is that we don't always have to live next to someone for someone to be our neighbor. That's what's really incredible. A neighbor can be more than the person that lives next door or down the street or in our neighborhood. And sometimes we learn in scripture that a neighbor can even be someone who lives all the way across the world from us. And that's because a neighbor is someone that we help, someone that we care about, someone that we treat like we would treat ourselves. And in the story that we're going to read today, Pastor Mark's going to read us a story that's probably pretty familiar to you guys. It's a story about someone who is trapped in a ditch. Something bad has happened to them. And they are in a ditch alongside a road. And three people pass this person by. And two of them do not stop. They just keep walking for whatever reason. Maybe they're in a hurry to get somewhere. Maybe they've got other things on their mind. But they they pass by this person in the ditch. And one person stops. And that one person, what do we call that person? The Good Samaritan, exactly. Y'all are on it today. <laughs> so we're going to read that story today. And the most, you Hardin went to BBS, everybody. <laughs> so the most important thing about this story that we learn is that all it takes to be a neighbor is paying attention. Paying attention and taking the time to see someone else and to help them or to talk to them or to ask them what they need. That's what it takes to be a neighbor, to treat someone like you would treat yourself. So here's the thing, I think some of you might have spent some time this week or maybe this summer with people who were your neighbors, but who didn't live in your neighborhood. Did any of you go to Super Happy Fun Week this week? That was a pretty cool camp that happened this week. And so some other folks from our church attended that and they learned what it was to be neighbors with kids from McShan Elementary School. That was a really cool experience. And now I want you to stand up really quickly Stand up really quickly and wave to these folks in the front few rows. Can you stand up and wave to these folks? These are some of our neighbors from Malawi or from around the country who have been to Malawi. Yes, so those are some of our neighbors. And you know where some of them live halfway across the world. And you know what? They can still be our neighbors too. It's very far away, but those people can still be our neighbors too. So before you go back to our seats, let's have a prayer together. Can you repeat after me? Dear God, thank you for neighbors, thank you for, neighbors. Thank, you for us thank you for showing us how to love one another, to love one another. And, be a and be a neighbor. In Christ's name we pray. In name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming up today, everybody. Good to see you all. As we prepare to hear words from scripture, let us pray. God, we need your words. Each and every day, we need your words to tell us what to do in this world, in this life, with this body that you've given us. And so we ask this day that you would breathe your life into the words that we hear, that you might silence in us any voice but your own that we might hear a word of grace, of challenge, and of new life. Amen.
5: Well, friends, as I enter the pulpit this morning, I do so with a grateful heart. I am grateful for the children who were just up front, and I'm impressed that uh, the lessons learned at Vacation Bible School have stuck somewhat. Um, Vacation Bible School wasn't last week, y'all. There's been a lot of swimming. There's been a lot of summer camps. There's been a lot of family vacations, presumably, and the lessons are sticking. And so praise God for that. So grateful for that. I am grateful for a few moments to collect myself after that beautiful introit. I am so grateful for that. And I want to also extend an additional warm welcome to our Malawian brothers and sisters, our partners, in ministry you bring a depth to our life together and while all of us haven't been able to be a part of the conference we have been with you in spirit and we are grateful for your presence this morning and for the opportunity to engage in ministry you are one of the parts that teaches us what a neighbor is all about and we are a grateful congregation so welcome once again Today we're continuing our summer mixtape sermon series. We've spent these recent weeks considering familiar and less familiar stories from the Bible. As you have heard, today's reading is a story that most of us know. It's one of the most familiar, most beloved, most preached on, most studied. There's no pressure here whatsoever. So, I want to encourage you to hear it new. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, and I want you to try and catch a detail that you have missed in the past. Try and consider a perspective from one of the people in this story that you might have glossed over as you have heard it read and told in the past. This morning, our scripture lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. I now invite you to listen that by faith you may receive God's word for you this morning. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy Jesus said to him go and do likewise this is the word of the Lord who is my neighbor I first learned of what a neighbor was when I was very young early elementary school my family and I lived on a cul-de-sac in the Spring Branch neighborhood of Houston. At that time, most of the homes on that circle included children. And as best I can remember, we were in and outside of everybody's house all the time. We were constantly playing. Girls, boys, dark-skinned and light, our parents socialized, including taking turns, putting lawn chairs up at the end of each other's driveways, and just sitting out in the evenings watching all the children play in the front yards and in the cul-de-sac. These are sweet, long-ago memories, except for one. I think I was at the center of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges to neighborliness in that community. One of my friends and I, Mark Monroe, were playing chase and the race took us fatefully into his house, through the kitchen, out the back door and around the pool where his mother had a lovely glass top table that I proceeded to pull over and the top shattered and not only did the glass go everywhere on the patio, it went into the pool. I didn't know all of this had happened because we just ran on and we went back to what ended up being the safety of our own backyard. And not long after our arrival, the windows were open, I heard the telephone ring. Now for the benefit of the young Presbyterians who were on the floor and some of our younger members up in the balcony, there used to be a device other than a cell phone that existed in homes. It was plugged into a wall, and it would ring, and you could answer and talk on it, but you couldn't leave the house with it. So our phone rang, and soon enough, my mother comes to the back door, and she looks at Mark, and she looks at me, and she says, where have you boys been? Well, suffice it to say, she did not get a straight answer from me. And unfortunately, it devolved into one of those well, unfortunate wait-till-your-father-gets-home kinds of situations. (laughs) Everything worked out in the end, as far as my childhood memory can recall. That was one of the earliest experiences that I recall of knowing what it was like to have neighbors. As Jesse said a moment ago, one of the most basic definitions of what a neighbor is And throughout my life, and I would imagine yours, you have had varying experiences of what it is to have a neighbor and to be a neighbor. As I've pointed out and as we've discussed, our Malawi Mission Partnership of nearly 20 years is a great example of that. For about 10 years, I led mission trips from my former congregation to the country of Kenya, where we engaged in very similar ministries, where we learned similar lessons about what it means. And we've had great experiences in the history of this congregation and undoubtedly will into the future. Well, the Good Samaritan story has something to say about what it means to be a neighbor. There was this man in need. He was in a ditch. He had been beaten up and he had been left half dead, as scripture tells us. We can't really know why the two people passed him by. Scholars have speculated and knowing what we know about Uh, laws, dietary laws and uh, purity laws and the like, we can wonder about whether uh, there was concern about coming in in contact with what was presumably a dead body or perhaps concern for uh, the impact of associating with the situation might have on a person's job security. Or maybe maybe they thought it was a trap and that the people that uh, beat him up were waiting in the wings to take, take over those who would help. We cannot really know those details. This story is about mercy, the human quality that has to do with compassion. The Samaritan, who had no position in society, was the one to stop and help, and this was a big deal. The conflict between Samaritans and Jews was deep. They would walk miles to avoid walking on their street. They thought that they were dirty. They would not drink at a well that they drank from. They would not eat with them. They actually avoided even talking with them whenever possible. And today we know that there are groups who behave in similar ways. Groups with deep divisions, refusing to associate with another group. Individuals do likewise, families even. This Samaritan essentially reverses all the bad that happened The man. He binds his wounds. He treats him. He ensures that he has shelter and he puts him in a safe place. Well, this past week, I spent several days at the Stony Point Retreat and Conference Center, about an hour northwest of New York City. I was there for a meeting of the Coordinating Committee of the Presbyterian Mission Agency Board. Stony Point is owned and operated by the Presbyterian Church USA. It is home to the Community of Living Traditions, a multi-faith, intentional community of Muslims, Jews, and Christians dedicated to the study and practice of hospitality, peace, nonviolence, justice, and earth care. I found this a fascinating and hopeful aspect of the center. I met some wonderful people as we spent time together over meals and had conversations. And I wondered if I myself could live in such a place. And I'm still wondering that because of the fortitude that it takes to live in a place where you knowingly are present with people who do not see the world uh, as you do, but you are there and you are sharing life and space. One of the ways their work is described to guests is the goal of extending radical hospitality. This piqued my curiosity. What makes hospitality radical? Some of my reading this summer has included the book A Bigger Table, Building Messy, Authentic, and Hopeful Spiritual Community by John Pavlovitz, a pastor and blogger. He writes this book with faith communities in mind, but I would say that much of his insights and understandings are applicable to us as individual people of faith as well. In a chapter entitled Radical Hospitality, he writes this, Hospitality ascribes value to people. It declares them worth welcoming. It disarms them by easing the fears that past rejection has yielded and lets them know that this place is different. And once people realize that they are received with joy, they begin to rest in it. They breathe again. In my reading then, I'd say the Samaritan extended radical hospitality to the stranger. He saw the man on the side of the road as his neighbor, and he responded faithfully. Jesus' model of openness was seen by many as a liability, perhaps because it was simply threatening to the status quo, to their neatly delineated morality code. It created tension then, and it will do the same as we replicate it. Radical hospitality will always transcend the existing constructs, always reach beyond current boundaries, always put stress on the systems in place. This is why Jesus' meals with sinners were so disconcerting to the religious folks. They could sense that things were shifting, that they would therefore need to shift as well. Pavlovitz goes on to say that because they were so unwilling to welcome those they believed to be inferior to them, they never fully saw Jesus in their midst. When my boys were little, I loved to read to them. Especially in their younger days, sometimes we would choose a title by Dr. Seuss. The Good Samaritan story reminded me of Dr. Seuss's "The Sneetches." It's about two types of creatures separated by having or not having stars on their bellies. The star-belly Sneeches think they are the best, and they look down at the Sneeches. That don't have a star. The plain belly Sneeches remain depressed and oppressed, prohibited from associating with their star bellied counterparts. Until, that is, Sylvester McMonkey McBean shows up on the scene, along with his star on, star off machines. He begins to give stars to the plain belly <coughs> Sneeches, and soon they are happy. For they look like their elite counterparts. The original starbelly Sneeches are angry at no longer being different and special, so they get Sylvester to remove their stars. This continues back and forth until no one can remember which Sneeches were originally what, and an epiphany strikes them all at once: that it really doesn't matter whether a Sneech has a starbelly or a plain. They are all really the same. And they can coexist and be friends and neighbors with one another. This story teaches us a valuable lesson, as only Dr. Seuss can. It provides a message that race and ethnicity and the things that physically make us unique and different from one another need not be dividing lines in our society, in our global society. We need not draw lines of division in the sand and that we can coexist peacefully regardless of those external differences. However, it's important to remember that peace and harmony were only reached after the Sneeches no longer knew who was who. This message could be misinterpreted to suggest that we should disregard our cultural history and that shedding our heritage for a new universal identity is the only way to achieve peaceful coexistence. Such a misinterpretation could lead one to think that tolerance equals anonymity, which is a step backward from any attempt that we make to live acceptance and finding individualism in our own identities. The Samaritan was bold. Despite his identity and place in society, he stopped to render aid. He stopped to be a neighbor to another in need. When we choose to walk down the opposite side of the road to avoid whatever or whomever it is on the other side, we are making a choice. We are drawing boundary lines. We are limiting what God may use us to do to effect change, to improve lives, to make a difference, to teach us, to show us something important that could potentially make a positive impact on our own lives. So it might be interesting to ponder what or who it is that we would avoid if we were to come upon it in the road ahead and why. This week I came across a writing by Mamie Broadhurst, and it is entitled, How to Keep Your Heart from Shrinking. Sometimes I am afraid that my heart is shrinking. I can still walk and run as well as I ever could. I have no shortness of breath. My pulse is steady, but I worry that as I hear about more deaths, more violence, and more pain, and more sorrow, and more anger, I am going to feel less. I fear that the more I know the less I am able to respond. The more I know the greater my paralysis. The more I know the more responsible I feel but that the more I know the more I fear that what I do is insignificant and won't help any life matter. And sometimes that feeling gets so big that I want to just shut it down. So I am afraid my heart is shrinking. I am afraid that instead of trying to put more love into the world, I am trying to figure out where I do and don't have to spend my love. I am afraid that like the lawyer testing Jesus, I am not just trying to figure out what to do. I'm also trying to figure out where I can stop caring. Who is my neighbor, he asks. It's less about whom shall I serve. Where and when can I say that my responsibilities, my efforts, my compassion can stop? And Jesus says, there is no stopping. There are not any lines. But the lawyer already knows that, really. And I already know that, really. You already know that, really. I know that once you see something, you can't just cross to the other side of the road. I know that thoughts and prayers alone don't help people who have been brutalized I know that marginalized people can't keep walking down the dangerous road to Jericho alone. I know that the real enemy isn't dressed in black or blue. The real enemy is fear. I know that fear isn't just a feeling. It's a way of walking in the world. But I also know that mercy isn't just a feeling. It, too, is a way of walking in the world. It isn't a noun, it's a verb. And I know that if I don't actively do something to stop my heart from shrinking, then I will die through my own efforts at self-protection. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. And so I will. I live with hope each and every day. I hope for better, more peaceful days in our troubled world. I I hope for greater understanding among one another. I hope for more intentional listening so that we are talking with each other and not talking at one another. I hope for forgiveness and for reconciliation. Frankly, I can't imagine living life without hope. It's directly related to our faith. In her recent book, Becoming Wise, Krista Tippett writes this about hope. She says, in a century of staggering open questions, hope becomes a calling for those of us who can hold it for the sake of the world. Hope is distinct from optimism or idealism. It has nothing to do with wishing, It references reality at every turn and reverses truth. It lives open-eyed and wholehearted with the darkness that is woven into the light of life and sometimes seems to overcome it. Hope, like every virtue, is a choice that becomes a practice, that becomes spiritual muscle memory. It's a renewable resource for moving through life as it is, not as we wish it to be. Every time we step into the pulpit, preachers like me are charged with the responsibility and the privilege of proclaiming the hopeful gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's not all. That's not the only charge here. The hearers, I believe, have a charge as well. That is, to take the message and apply it, to seek ways to embody it. So with hope in our hearts, pushing fear aside, with mercy on our minds and in our hands, and the assurance of God's Spirit carrying us forward, let us not pass by on the other side. Let us engage. Let us, each one, be a neighbor to those in need. All thanks be to God. Amen.
0: Having heard the word read and proclaimed, I invite you to rise either in body or in spirit and join me in the affirmation of faith.
3: We believe God's
0: Before we do, I would like to remind you of the care letters, which are located through this door and under the window. They are a series of letters that go out every Monday morning to (coughs) members of our congregation in need. By signing those, you are acting as a neighbor, so don't forget them. In addition, we lift up a few celebrations. We lift up Super Happy Fun Week, which happened this past week. You've heard about it a few times. It was a beautiful bonding opportunity for the children in our congregation, a true community moment, and we're grateful for that. In grief, we also lift up the family of Beverly Skelton, who passed this week. Beverly was a founding member of this congregation. She joined in April of 1950, and she will be missed. Additionally, we lift up the friends and family of Toy Yi, who passed away this Friday. With all of these things in mind, let us go to God in prayer. Good and gracious God, you are bigger than we could ever imagine. If you were words, we would pray, make us a book so that all of us could be filled with you. And if you were the ground, the soil beneath our feet, i pray, make me a tree. So that I could shower you with flower petals. And if you were the sun, God, I'd pray, make me the sea. So that I could not only reflect your light, but absorb your warmth. But you are not a book, or the ground, or the sun. You are love. You are pure, unfiltered, unwavering, intoxicating, wildfire-spreading love. Love that heals the brokenhearted and makes the night seem bearable. So God, I pray, make me a love song. Make our lives a melody for the lonely and the hurting. Write the words on our hearts and the tune on the tip of our tongue. Because I know that you are love, so we want to be that too. And there are children who need a safe place to be themselves. And there are children that need life's basic necessities, food, education, and clothing. There are hearts that are so lonely, and there are homes that are too quiet. There are minds overwhelmed with a to-do list that they can't seem to tackle, and sleep that is interrupted by stress, dreams related to work, identity, or purpose. There is war, environmental distress, a housing crisis in our own city, mental health anxiety brushed under the rug, and the weight of grief that can feel overwhelming. The list goes on. It can all pile on top of itself like a dissonant symphony. So when it does, God, we pray make this church an orchestra of love each voice playing in harmony at your direction. And guide our hearts so that we might echo your words of love into every corner of our lives, that untamable, wildfire-spreading love. Let us start with the Lord's Prayer, praying together, our Father, who art our-
1: As we prepare to give a portion of our lives back to our generous God, I want to lift up how this is the time of year that many of you are preparing to send your children off to college. Well, did you know that we collectively are sending children off to college? These children are children we are committed to supporting through Presbyterian Children's Homes and Services a nonprofit organization founded by First Presbyterian Church in Dallas back in 1903 that is still continuing, providing social services to children and families in need. Our every dollar counts, that is your one dollar bills that go into our offering plates throughout this month, will allow us to send these students care packages. Care packages may seem small, but we've heard from these students themselves that they make a huge difference in their lives. They offer them signs of love and hope so that they can accomplish all that they are meant to accomplish in their studies. On average, only 3% of children who age out of the foster care system will complete college. We believe that together we can make a difference in that statistic that we can empower and encourage and educate our children to reach their fullest potential. So with a heart of gratitude (coughs) and with an expanded circle of care, let us give of our tithes and our offerings Make our offerings small and large with the hope and confidence that all we do, all we offer, all we say, all we think, and all we hope will take root in this world and be the source of new expressions of your love, justice, character, mission, and your reign. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through us alongside us, despite us, and for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
5: with hope in our hearts, pushing fear aside, with mercy on our minds and in our hands, and the assurance of God's Spirit carrying us forward, let us not pass by on the other side. Let us engage. Let us, each one, be a neighbor to those in need. The peace of God which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with you this day and every day. Go in peace.